Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. Welcome to Red Sea Roundup. I am your host, Gene Wilhelm. And I think I had a little bit of an echo here, but I think... And today is Wednesday, July the 10th. Today is the Feast of Blessed... Or the rec, we remember Blessed Emmanuel Ruiz. He is one of uh, 11 martyrs in Damascus. Well, I guess actually in Lebanon. It, uh, who were attacked by the Druze Lebanese uh, rebels in, and uh, they were slaughtered for their faith because they wouldn't convert to uh, Islam, and they were beatified in 1926. We've got a few things on the calendar for this week. Uh, one is a part of what was mentioned last week when Deacon Mike and uh, Thaddeus were talking, and it was about a but three different blood drives. The only one I see that, that is still here uh, that was listed uh, on the church bulletins is at St. Jerome's in Waco. Uh, their blood drive is the 21st of this month from 8 to 2 in Brooks Hall. And, of course, donating blood is something that is, uh, I won't say it's painless, but it's something that you can do to help other people, and it really doesn't cost you any money. Uh, we've got a couple of other events. Uh, one is coming up this uh, Saturday on the 13th uh, from uh, 10 a.m. to noon at St. John Newman Catholic Church in Westlake Hills. It's the 11th annual Catholic Men's Mass. Uh, Father Bud Rowland will be saying the Mass. Uh, my understanding is that they're anticipating over 1,000 men to come to the Mass. The Mass used to be in the— 1,000 men? Yes, the Mass used to be in the cathedral, but they outgrew the cathedral, so now it's at St. John Newman Catholic Church in Westlake Hills, and that's at 5455 B Cave Road in there. And if you want more information about this, you can talk, go to centexcatholic.com, C-E-N-T-E-X catholic.com. Is Red Sea going to have any presence at that Saturday? We are not going to be there this Saturday. We always go to the... The Central Texas Men's Conference, but we have not typically gone to the Men's Mass and, and broadcast from there, no. Okay. Uh, to, now that we've talked about the men, There might not be room for us, it sounds like. <laughs> it sounds like This it. time, gosh, a, a thousand men. That's, uh, and uh, Mike Bonin is, is trying to get everybody organized to be able to go there, those mm-hmm. of you know Mike. Mm-hmm. So. And he uh, he's continuing to plug forward with his, I think it's seven o'clock a.m. men's Bible study here at Well, it's not a Bible study. It's it's really just a men's group. Okay. We're going through okay. a program uh, which he'd been through before. Uh, we had about uh, eight, ten men this morning. We've had as many as 15. 
Uh, and it's very good. What we talked about this morning was the Eucharist and being prepared to to, uh, to receive worthily and what we can do to uh, heighten our awareness of what the Eucharist is and so forth. It's a different topic every week, something yeah, that's very make, helpful. Make an, make an invitation to uh, yes. since you're a part of it. Uh, anybody who's who uh, is in within driving distance, we meet in room 201. It's the St. Mary Student Center. Uh, and uh, we have a lot of fun, and we learn a lot as well. Uh, those of, Some of you know about the men's Bible study that I'm a part of on Monday and how we have a lot of fun there. I'd say we have just about as much fun uh, at 7 o'clock in the morning, if you can believe that. Wow, that's almost too much fun for one week. Plus, you do a Bible study on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings as well. After, well, not this not this month. Uh, we okay. took June and July off. We'll be doing that again after the 8 o'clock Mass. But that's your more sedate one so that you uh, don't have that, too that, much fun. That is uh, uh, men and women in that one. Oh, and, well, uh, there you go. And the average age in that one probably is closer to 70 in uh-huh. the Sunday morning. But we have a couple of young couples who are getting married uh, this next year. Those septuagenarians, they can get pretty uh, pretty wild. Uh, this one does. <laughs> um, hey, there's uh, there's two different offerings of um, some Bishop Barron video series here in the Bryan College Station area. The first one's been ongoing. It's at St. Thomas Aquinas in South College Station. They are they've got two more offerings of uh, their no, I'm sorry, three more of the. Um, Episodes from the Catholicism, the Pivotal Players, Volume 1, July 18th, Blessed John Henry Newman, very, um, very timely because he's looking to be, he's looks like he's going to be canonized here yes. pretty soon. Um, then July 25th, G.K. Chesterton, the great English uh, apologist and writer. And then August 1st, Michelangelo, each, each of those video series offered Thursdays. 10 to 11.30 a.m., and then again, 7 to 8.30 p.m. So those are the times on those three dates, the 18th, the 25th, and the 1st. And then over at St. Anthony's, they're offering the last, I believe, five episodes of the original Catholicism series. They did the first five uh, last summer. They're doing the, the final ones this summer starting July 11th, that's tomorrow, then the 18th, 25th, the 1st, and the 8th from 5.30 to 8 in the Malinowski Center. Now, we got a little more details here on the St. Anthony offering. Dinner's included. But you have to call and make a reservation for the dinner, do you not? I think they want to, they'd like an RSVP. Um, And uh, they'd like to also get an RSVP because there's going to be babysitting, including included as well. So it's a it's a full family event. They want to make it very uh, easy and attractive for people to come to. Neither one of those offerings of videos do you need to be a parishioner at the said parish, but they'd love for you to join their parish if you're, you're not a parishioner somewhere. Uh, so check that out. The first one at St. Anthony's again, this Thursday, tomorrow, 530 in the Malinowski Center, July 11th, contact uh, Barbara Svatek at 936-419-3928 or Carolyn Vida or Carolyn Witt, maybe the anglicized pronunciation, 979-595-3599. 
And that's Bishop Barron's series, both of them? Yeah. Uh, speaking of Bishop Barron, uh, I received a copy of a, uh, his latest book, which is about 100 pages. I have I, it too. <laughs> which I think is called Letter to a Hurting Church. Suffering Church. Suffering Church. Yep. Uh, I'm about halfway through it. I'm a very slow reader, but it's an excellent book. I agree. It's I agree. something, uh, if you... Uh, if you can get a hold of a copy, that's great. My understanding is if you buy it in bulk, you can get them for a dollar a book plus shipping. That's true. And uh, it it's really has a lot to say about uh, what's going on in the church now and what our attitude should be rather than just wringing our hands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great call to holiness. And there's a great—you're not probably there yet, you're the, there yet, but there's a wonderful kind of exposition of the, the beauties of the— of the church, what he calls the the treasure, the yes. the aspects of the. I think I'm about I'm about there. I think. Okay. So. Okay. So, Gene, what else? What else well, do you have for us? We talked about the men's mass. Let's talk a few minutes. There is a Catholic women's conference on September seventh at St. William's in Round Rock. Uh, there, there's a, and there's a pre-conference the night before at uh, St. John Vianney. And uh, you can get more information about that if you go to austindiocese.org slash womans-conference. That's austindiocese.org womans-conference. And you are you were telling me that Red Sea is going to be spending some time? At right the- now we are planning to, uh, to be there on September 7th broadcasting from the diocesan women's conference yes okay looking forward to it i'm sure you are uh, i've not been to saint john vianney church i've been to saint williams and round rock so i know that's a yeah very... i've been to saint williams i don't believe i've been to saint john vianney vianney okay i thank you for correcting my pronunciation uh another event that's coming up two of two possible things that you can go to there's two marriage encounters coming up one is on uh august the 2nd through the 4th and that's a non-residential uh uh, uh, marriage encounter, uh, and that is going to be at St. John Newman Church in Austin. Okay. And then on September 6th through the 8th at the Wingate Hotel in Round Rock, uh, there is going to be a, a residential one. So in the, obviously the difference between those two is that you spend the night or not. Uh, and that you can get more information at uh, Austin me.org, austinme.org, and Mike, and I uh, can't read my writing, are going to be there. You can get more information from them at 512-677-9963, 512-677-9963, or uh, I can't read it either. The, uh, oh, Worldwide. WWMEAustin at gmail.com. WWMEAustin.com. Uh, Marion and I have not been to a marriage encounter. We've been to several other marriage programs. I understand it's a very good program. And uh, so I would invite you to that. Uh, one other thing that I know that's coming up is that Cedar Break is having a uh, uh, couple of de- three day thing too with Chuck Neff and I've heard the name but I don't know much about Chuck Neff but it's bearing fruit in this chaotic 21st century Uh, that might be something interesting to go to as well you can check their website at cedarbreak.org to get more information on that yeah and and speaking of Cedarbreak their uh, 
their director, their chaplain, um, Father Albert Haas, is going to be our speaker at the upcoming Red Sea Catholic Radio Benefit, November 7th this year. Wow. So he's coming to uh, speak to us at our benefit dinner show. You know, start saving that date, marking that that date on your calendar, November 7th, Thursday at St. Thomas Aquinas. I don't know about anybody else, but I miss him and his sister Bridget with their Sunday program at 2 o'clock. Uh, spirit and life that was on Red Sea for a number of years, but I think Bridget retired and and he uh, uh, became the chaplain at the the retreat center. Oh no, this is this is early Red Sea history that I don't know anything about. There was they were on they were on the radio. He and his sister. Yes, sister Bridget uh, Haas. Who, who is this? Who is a, a uh, nun? Ursula Nun. Yes. Wow. Uh, and uh, I don't How know. Beautiful. I don't know. And they were from New Orleans, and there was a lot of. Uh, references to the uh, fun they had in New Orleans and the Cajun cooking in their mama. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Father Albert, for those of you who don't know, spent m- many years as a uh, missionary in China. Yes. And he has so many interesting stories to tell, and, and I really appreciate his humor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so you're hearing it right now. This is this is reason enough to come to the benefit dinner on November seventh. And if so, you don't, and if you don't like Father Albert, come anyway. <laughs> come anyway. There's there's usually uh, there's at least somebody there that you know and that you'll enjoy seeing. And maybe you'll see some of us and make sure that we only have one head instead of two. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Gene, before we get to um, giving a little preview of what's going to be on in the second part of the show. Give us our saint of the day. Our saint of the day, again, is Emmanuel Ruiz. We talked about it a little bit. He's one of uh, 11 Franciscans. Uh, You can get a little bit more information if you go to just Google Blessed Emmanuel Ruiz. And and so uh, uh, it it reminded me when I was looking, it reminded me a lot of the Trappists that were killed uh, in North Africa a number of years ago, and, and I believe the, I'm trying to remember what the movie, I think the movie was Into the Silence, I believe was the name of the movie that talked about what happened there. Mm-hmm. So Now, another priest, um, religious sister team is going to be discussed in the interview in the second part yes. of the show. And, and what I wanted you to talk about, actually, because you didn't get a chance to get into it, it's a pre-recorded interview, uh, so we won't be able to take phone calls in the second part of the show. But talk a little bit about how you found out about uh, oh, about I, Father Rick. Father Rick Thomas. Uh, I heard Father Rick Thomas uh, speak several times uh, at some conferences and, and some other places. Uh, and Sister Mary Virginia, who was a uh, daughter of charity, uh, w- was a traveling companion of his or worked with him. Uh, Father Rick is from Florida originally. Uh, I think he was born in 1928, and in, in 1964, he was assigned to uh, Our Lady's Youth Center in, in the, one of the poorer sections of El Paso. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we get into the story, we, we uh, from Marianne uh, Halloran and Ellen Hogarty, who uh, Marianne worked with him for like 42 worked at this uh, with this ministry for 42 years, and Ellen is a relative newcomer at 35 years. <laughs> Uh, and it, it's just really interesting. Uh, I, I, I remember when we were doing the pre-recording, there were a couple of surprised looks on your faces when they talked about some of the miracles yeah. that happened through Father Rick. Yeah. Uh, Father Rick had a ministry on both sides of the river, uh, the, uh, the uh, Rio Grande, and he, he really had a heart for the poor. He, he died 
in, in 2006, but he'd been for like, like 40 years in El Paso when he died, so 42 years. So it's, it's a very interesting story, and, and uh, if you go to uh, their website, which is thelordsranch.org, I believe, you can actually hear some of his talks. He, he does not have a very pleasant speaking voice, and uh, Father Rick is somebody that is not going to be too concerned if he offends you by speaking God's truth. Mm. Uh, but he, he is just—he is so— he was such a wonderful person, and uh, it, it was really interesting to be able to, to see him and to hear him, and he would bring some of his people from, uh, from Juarez with him sometimes when he would travel, and uh, to see these people and how— So you got to see him in person. Got to see him in person several on, times. on never, several occasions. Uh, one time, he was, it was at a conference with her—I think there were like 10,000 people at the conference— and to see these men who basically were gang members in Juarez— uh, and to see how their lives had been transformed. It was just totally amazing, uh, the ministry that he had. Uh, they still have the ranch out in New Mexico, but uh, it's not functioning quite like it did in the past. Mm. So, so we don't get to hear, we just think that the miracles are all past and that, that we, we haven't had an opportunity to meet people who are saints. And uh, that's not true. I mean, yes, we probably, Thaddeus and I may be sitting across from each other and, 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 uh, uh, Thaddeus may be the saint that I'm encountering today. And I well, hope that's high praise. I hope I can live up to that the rest of my day. <laughs> but I think that kind of ties back into what you were mentioning. Um, Bishop Barron is getting at in his, in his book and, and just that idea of each, each person really needing to dedicate themselves to living a life of holiness and being a, a channel of, the Holy Spirit and being a channel of God's grace into the world. Everyone needs to be transformed. Yes. Um, one, uh, there's a meditation I use, uh, uh, have been using, which comes from a group out of Cincinnati called One Bread, uh, One, I think it's One Bread, One Body. And uh, the, today, is, is the first reading for today's Mass is out of Genesis, where Joseph is feeding all the hungry out of Egypt that he's stored up all the food and people and there was a famine uh for uh for food and people were coming to joseph uh to be fed and a comment that was made in this meditation is that that that, that there's like a famine today and that the famine today is like spiritual anorexia Mm -hmm. and uh the urging of the meditation was to help people be overcome the anorexia, spiritual anorexia in their life and be open to hearing the Word of God. Because it talks, this meditation talks about three, uh, three famines. One is the famine that's spoken of in Genesis with, with Joseph. The other one in, I'm try, I cannot remember which of the uh, prophets talked about, a famine of the Word of God. And then this, he's, this meditation talked about the third famine is the famine where people are anorexic spiritually anorexic and don't want to hear God's word. And, and when they don't want to hear God's word, they don't want to receive the bread of life either. So uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it was very interesting to me uh, how this was t- talked about today. I, I agree. And I think that um, kind of nicely fitting with that is one of the, the major miraculous events 
tied to Father Rick has to do with food. Yes, it does. And, and, and it was one of his early ones, too. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 Father Rick was so simple and just so believing of what was going on that it, it's almost amazing when you hear. There are only a couple of stories that, that we're going to hear from Marianne and Ellen but about some of these things. But it's just he just believed and God answered his faith. I mean, he, was, he had as much faith as Abraham and God just really answered him for what he's doing. And it looks like are we about ready to go into a break? We shall be back right after the break with a pre-recorded interview about Father Rick Thomas and his ministry. Good morning and welcome back. Those of you who are just tuning in, I'm Gene Wilhelm, your host of Red Sea Roundup today. And my guests today are two people that uh, I think you'll find their stories, their story very interesting. Marianne Holleran and Ellen Hogarty, who are at our Ladies Youth Center in El Paso, Texas. And we're going to be discussing the life and the uh, of Father Rick Thomas. Many people have never heard of Father Rick Thomas, and he is uh, he is uh, someone who spent what, almost 40 years at Our Lady's Youth Center and had a tremendous ministry. Good morning, Mary Ann and Ellen. How are Good you? Good morning. How, how are things going in El Paso? Things are going great, They're thank going God. well, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that you the uh, warm weather has already started there just like it has here. It's pretty hot, yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Father Rick. Uh, Father Rick Thomas was a Jesuit, and can you tell us a little bit about his biography, his background, and uh, how he got to El Paso? Yeah, so he was born in Florida in 1928 and went to a Jesuit high school uh, there in Tampa, and when he was um, 16 years old, he was training a horse, and a very wild horse, and Father was very good at training horses. And through that experience, he felt a call from God to become a priest. And because he had gone to a Jesuit high school, he talked to the principal there and uh, decided to enter the Jesuits. So he entered the Jesuits in, um, I forget what year, uh, but it was in Grand Coteau, Louisiana, and then he was ordained a priest, a Jesuit priest, in 1958. And then uh, after teaching and different assignments, he was sent to El Paso in 1964 to take over Our Lady's Youth Center, which was a ministry in the, the slums of El Paso to minister to gangs and the poor in this area. And and you were telling me a little bit earlier that that's attached to Sacred Heart Church there, and the Jesuits are still ministering through that yeah, church still, and at Our Lady's Youth Center. Right. So Sacred Heart is a, still a Jesuit-run parish, and this was a, a, a ministry as, that was associated with the Sacred Heart and the Jesuits, yes. So he was a pretty fairly young priest when he was assigned to El Paso, and, and it, isn't it a little unusual for a Jesuit priest to stay in one place that long? Because he was there until he died in, what, 2009? 
Uh, he died in 2006. Six. Okay, I got it wrong. Yeah. yeah. But that's a yeah, long it, time. It, it was a 42 years and uh, very unusual uh, because uh, Jesuits get moved around a lot. But, yeah, they kept him here all that time. So he must have been doing something very special. We think so. <laughs> and I didn't mention to you earlier, I believe he also had a daughter of charity that worked with him frequently, didn't he? Yes. Sister Mary Virginia? Mary Virginia Clark. Okay. She worked with him for several years. She was the daughter of charity, and uh, she came later on. And, um, yeah, she was very helpful to him. So what? And, okay, excuse me. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. No, she was just very helpful in running, helping with the ministries and doing things that he couldn't do that um, she was able to do. And so she's a very loving, good person. She's still alive. She lives Oh, she in, is. Yeah, she's in her 90s, and um, she's in a retirement home of Daughters of Charity. So Our Lady's Youth Center was established to minister to the youth in that area? Mm-hmm. Yes. What kind of success was was there with that before Father Rick came? So Father Rick, um, when he came and took over from Father Rom, Harold Rom, who had uh, founded it, um, they were doing a tremendous amount of social work and feeding. Uh, they fed school kids, um, and they did a lot of youth activities, sports, recreational events. Um, and so he said they were tremendous at social work, but he, Father Rick himself didn't see a lot of spiritual fruit, and that discouraged him, uh, because as a priest, he wanted to, you know, draw people closer to the Lord, and he didn't see a lot of that happening and was frustrated and uh, praying about that. Well, that must have been for several years that he had that that feeling. Yeah, so, you know, um, he said he was super busy, and um, but as time wore on, he said, you know, where is the fruit, the lasting fruit and change in, in people's spiritual lives and in the way they live their lives? And um, so he, you know, made that a prayer and asking God to please show him a different way because he thought, how am I going to keep this going? Because he felt dry and uh, desolate as a priest and that his priesthood wasn't bearing a lot of fruit. And then that's when uh, he had a Jesuit friend, Father Hal Cohen, who is in New Orleans, um, invite him to come and uh, learn more about what was going on in the church in the charismatic renewal. And so Father Rick was um, going to New Orleans for a Jesuit event that he had to go to. And afterwards, Father Hal said, why don't you come and uh, come to a prayer meeting that we're having and we'll pray over you. And so they prayed over him. Sister Mary Virginia was there at the time. She was um, at the same prayer meeting. And they prayed over him, and he received what was called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was a grace that God was pouring out on the church to fan into a flame the gifts and graces we receive through the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of confirmation. Now, Father Rick said he didn't feel any different. He didn't have any dramatic experience. But that night, uh, he went to bed, and when he woke up in the middle of the night, he was in deep prayer. And he said he had not been in that kind of depth of prayer for years. 
and he knew something had happened and that he had received a grace from God. Now, let's take just a, a bypass here for a second or mm-hmm. an aside. Let's talk about what the charismatic renewal is. Sometimes it gets a very bad rap uh, and the, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and how would you explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit as, it's, as it was called in the charismatic renewal in the early days? A stirring up and fanning into a flame the graces that we've already received as Catholics in the sacrament of baptism and confirmation. Um, you know, we receive the Holy Spirit in a mighty way, but sometimes things lie dormant. And I think the grace of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a, an agitating that, stirring it up, uh, unleashing it in our lives. And, you know, it, it comes out in different ways. My understanding of, of that whole process is as much that the person who is being prayed with finally invites God to do with him or her whatever God wants, to allow those gifts and graces and, and fruits of the Holy Spirit to come out that have been dormant and in, in some cases uh, perhaps even locked in a closet, an, a basement or an attic. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was that his experience then? Yeah, so when he came back to El Paso, um, what he wanted to do was, okay, um, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do in these ministries that we have? So what what he did was he started to gather people that were on staff and um, start to study the Bible, the Scriptures, and to be led through the Scriptures and uh, pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what did he want to do? And that's when things really started to change. And what what were the first manifestations of those changes? Well, well, when um, they were having these Bible studies, they would read the Scripture together, a group of them, in the old youth center, in the Our Lady's youth center up upstairs, and um, just they they pray for scriptures and they'd read them together and see what was God was saying. Well. When they read Luke fourteen twelve to 14 about when you give a dinner, don't invite your friends and family who can invite you back, and you can be repaid. But when you give a banquet, um, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. So when they read that, they realized that they weren't doing it and not obeying that scripture. Even though they and, were ministering to the poorest of the poor in El Paso? Right. Even though they were ministering to the poor, um, they didn't feel like they were obeying the scripture of giving a banquet and inviting um, all the poor. Sitting down as equals at a party situation is more the understanding of that scripture. Instead of just handing out food like a superior to an inferior, it was more of a call as brothers and sisters to sit down at the same table and celebrate together. As equals. In, in, in a sense, a real communion banquet in the right. most yes. common sense of the word. Exactly. Well, how did, how did that go about? I mean, how so did that... Father Thomas said, I'm not obeying this, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to the garbage dump in Wattis, which he had been there before, just to see it and observe. And at the garbage dump in Wattis, Mexico, um, which is, we live on the border, we're in El Paso, um, uh, he he saw that people were living out of the trash, you know, kids, adults, women, children, babies on people's backs, and um, just picking through the trash, looking for food or looking for cardboard, glass, different things they could turn in to get some 
get some money. And so he said, I'm going to go to the dump on Christmas, for, uh, on Christmas Day and to have Christmas dinner with these people, and anyone who wants to come can come with me. Well, um, this was in... Um, 1972. 19, yeah. And so about six carloads from El Paso loaded up. There were also people that went from Mexico, from Juarez, that met, met them over there. And people brought sandwiches and ham and cake and burritos, tamales, all kinds of food. And they drove to the dump, and um, it's about six miles from the border. And uh, the people there didn't even know it was Christmas. You know, it was just another day. And um, what they didn't know was that they were split in two groups, the people over there, two hostile groups, and they weren't speaking with each other. But they were all picking through the trash and... Um, um, so father was walking around figuring out how to do this. And, um, so realizing that they were two hostile groups. So there was a table and they had the people lined up on two sides of the table, the different two, two groups in a neutral territory. And, um, he said, you know, we're going to sing. And so they sang a song, Bendito, which is a popular song in Mexico. And, um, they, and then he said, and we're going to pray for you all. So they prayed for the people, and um, the people began to soften and mingle a little. And But he could see that they didn't bring enough food. They brought enough food for about 120, and there were already about 300 people there. And um, he prayed a prayer. Father, prayed, Father Thomas prayed a prayer. Lord, bless the people, bless the food, and they started giving out the food. And... Um, you know, after a while, some people started realizing that the food was being multiplied before their eyes, like they were cutting the ham, and the ham would not go away. I mean, it just kept being as big as it was. They'd cut ham, big pieces, pass it out, tamales, and, um, you know, and, and Father had said there's there's not going to probably be enough, but... And, um, uh, but the people got in line again, Children got in line again. Uh, people started taking food home and coming back, and everyone was getting enough food. And um, um, they even uh, stopped at um, several orphanages on the way home to give food out. And um, there was still um, food, and so that and that's what kind of began the ministry of. of um, going to Mexico, and they started visiting the dump every Saturday. And there are people that lived inside the dump itself, were there not? Yes. And they made their homes yes. out of whatever scraps they could oh, find yeah. in the dump. Scraps, cardboard, rags, mm -hmm. sticks, you know, whatever they had. So what was that ministry to the dump like when you went every weekend or when folks went every weekend? So they started uh, a store because they realized, okay, when they prayed about why did God multiply the food, they came to the realization it's because he wanted us to keep going back. So they thought, what's the greatest need these people have? Well, it was food. And so they said, well, let's start a store where we'll sell the food below our cost and uh, make sure that they can, you know, purchase what they need. And in order to do that, the community on this side of the border, on the U.S. side of the border, started to hold garage sales and sell jewelry and whatever extra else they had in their houses to be able to fund this store. 
and it was called the Lord's Store. And so people could come every week and buy groceries way below the cost of the groceries and have enough for their families. And that was one of the, the key ministries um, of that grew out of that dump miracle. Okay, and so that that went on for a number of years. And mm-hmm. uh, I want to just remind our audience that I'm talking with Marianne Holland and Ellen Hogarty from El Paso from Our Our Lady's Youth Center in El Paso. And we're talking about Father Rick Thomas and the ministry that he had for 42 years in El Paso and Juarez. So it went beyond just uh, going and selling food at the dump, though, too, didn't it? Right. So they, you know, continuing to read the scriptures, study the scriptures, when they got to Matthew 25, and Jesus says, when I was hungry, when I was naked, when I was thirsty, when I was in jail, you visited me. All these things that Jesus said, if you do to the least of your brethren, you do it to me. So they said, okay, how else can we minister to Jesus and our brothers and sisters? So out of that scripture study uh, came all the other ministries. So we have a food bank over in Juarez that continues to to feed people, and we have uh, some schooling going on. We also visit the jail, the mental hospital every week to visit the prisoners and the patients. Um, all that came out of uh, studying the scripture and trying to be obedient to what the Spirit was asking of the community. And that went on and on and on, and uh, not just to the jail. As I recall, Father Rick ministered to gang members in Juarez as well, did he not? As a part of the juvenile delinquent um, center, he did. Um, we'd, we'd visit the juvenile detention home every Saturday for a while. We don't do that anymore. Um, as a result of that, he, Father Rick started uh, two different homes where kids that were wanting to get off the street could go and try to start a different lifestyle. I seem to recall a story, too, uh, that Father Rick was over there when a gang war broke out and uh, some rather unusual things happened after the gang war. Would you like to comment about those a little bit? Mm, Not familiar with. Well, I I was thinking about his 12 apostles, how how some of them were... uh, my understanding is that some of them at one point in time were de- described as clinically dead, and he prayed with them, and they came back to life. Maybe well, that... he started. He started. We would have um, um, like rallies over there in, in Mexico at the at different parishes, and um, just praising the Lord and praying with the people. And out of that came lots of um, men, and who he called the apostles. And uh, he would teach them one-on-one, um, not one-on-one, to, just to them um, at the food bank in, every morning, giving them scripture study. And um, they became uh, wonderful ministers to other people. They, they were, lived, um, their lives were miraculous in the, that, you know, many quit drinking, many quit gangs, many quit um, drugs or being abusive husbands, and they really gave their lives to the Lord. And um, uh, so they started to minister and help run um, the food bank in Mexico. Now, there's another ministry that came out of that to help run that food bank and to feed the people in El Paso, which actually took place in New Mexico. Right. That's called the Lord's Ranch. And that originally started as a summer youth camp. Because uh, as part of the youth center, Our Lady's Youth Center, they 
one of the programs was to take kids from the inner city out into a rural setting where there was horseback riding and uh, seeing nature and uh, getting them an experience of, you know, a summer camp type experience. The original location where they had run that camp for many years uh, closed down, and so Father Rick tried to find another place where that could be replaced, and that he ended up in New Mexico, about 40 miles from El Paso, and purchased some land out there that became the Lord's Ranch. And so its original intent was to supplement or to be a substitute for the summer camp. Now it never became that. It be, it started to become an agricultural center. Um, to produce food for the poor in, at the food bank in Juarez. And um, we used to host um, college groups, high school groups, to come and work on the, the farm and to milk cows, milk goats. We made cheese for the poor, harvested vegetables, fruit. Um, and so that started in 1975. Uh, through a disease in the soil uh, called Texas root rot, it it killed off all the trees in the vineyard that we had. Um, so it gradually morphed into a different type of ministry uh, where it's, you know, retreat work and um, a place for visitors to come and stay when they visit us. I seem to recall some people out of my life that spent some time at the Lord's Ranch working, uh, uh, Joe and Dolores Love. And I know I don't remember how many years they were there, but I know they were a number of years at the Lord's Ranch. They gave up their whole life that they had before and came to work full-time for God down there. Uh, they were here several years, and they were a great help. <clears throat> in fact, they helped in those homes that helped the peop- the kids that were off the street. And they lived in Mexico in those homes for uh, a while, a um, few years. Mm-hmm. Um, As house parents. Yeah, they lived on the ranch for a while, then they went over there and did a tremendous job. And I know Dolores had a lot of training in Montessori school, and I'm sure that she helped with this, knew how to help with the younger children as well. She did, and she even taught. Um, I'm a mother of eight, and at, when she came, my children were the first ones were very small. So she actually helped teach them on the ranch, did some Montessori with them a few days a week. <clears throat> so. That you had, Joe and Dolores weren't the only ones that came down and changed their whole life to give it to God no. down at the ranch or at Our Lady's Youth Center or, or in Mexico. No, a lot of people have come to the Lord's Ranch through the years. Many, many. And Marianne was the first visitor uh, ever to come from out of town to visit the community. Maybe this, is a, maybe this is a good time to talk about a little bit about how you got involved. We've got about 12 minutes left. Uh, well, um... I came when um, I was, well, when I was almost a senior in high school that summer is when I had always gone to Sunday, you know, Mass on Sunday and, you know, was involved in the youth group and all. But it was that summer that I was baptized in the Spirit, what we were talking about, where someone prayed with me and I got uh, the Holy Spirit just stirred up in me to, to um, more on fire for Jesus. And it was... Uh, it was from that that I felt the call to be a missionary, and um, that was pretty much all I wanted to be. And um, so I told my parents, you know, that, and that I wanted to go be a missionary after high school, and they said, well, give college a year, give it a try for a year. So I did junior college for a year, and then I said, all right, I'm ready to go. And um, so I did go to Mexico, near Mexico City, to an orphanage for 
a year, and I worked there. And I think the Lord used that year to prepare me for where I am now. And after that year, I was looking for something in the States, and I read a New Covenant about a magazine about Father Rick Thomas and the miracle at the dump. And um, this was in 1976. So I came down. I was going to stay for a year, and uh, here I am. How, how many yeah. years now? 42 years. And you, so, where, is, where is home for you? Um, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, okay. and my husband's from Providence, Rhode Island, and we met on the Lord's Ranch about a year and a half after I was here is when he came. And um, with time, we, you know, uh, got married, and Father Thomas did our wedding, and uh, we have eight children. Wow. They're all grown now. That's so, so uh, although the fruit trees aren't bearing anymore, you and your husband bore a lot of fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and one of our children is a, a Jesuit priest. And it was Father Rick Thomas that inspired him. Um, I'm, I'm sure he inspired a lot of people. What about, uh, now, uh, that's Alan, right? That I just... Yes. So I came uh, with a college group on a mission trip, and I was supposed to be here three weeks. And when I was, during that first two weeks, I really felt the Lord calling me to stay and dedicate my life to in service to the poor here in this community. And that was 35 years ago, and I'm still here. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> and and where is home for you? Where was your original? I was born and raised in Hawaii, and uh, that's that's where I was from. So it's quite a dramatic difference from where I grew up. Oh, I'm sure it is. I mean, yeah. uh, th- there's no ocean nearby, is there? That's right. <laughs> it's a real miracle. I mean, we see it as that she came from Hawaii and now lives in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, my understanding is that Every time God is trying to bring people to him, he takes them through a desert. I mean, if, you, if you look at the original Exodus that traveled for, from Babylon, both of those were to get to God, what God wanted. He had to take them through the desert. And Jesus spent right. his 40 days in the desert getting ready also. And so it's not unusual for us to be taken to a desert somewhere. Right. And it's a great community to be a part of, and I'm very blessed. So what what is happening right now these days with Our Lady's Youth Center and the Lord's Range? Anything specific that you that we haven't talked about? So the ministries continue. Uh, we're very involved in helping the poor on both sides of the border. And um, the things that Father Thomas started and he put lay people in charge of are still going on even after his death in 2006. And we see that as a testimony to him and his legacy that he left us how he wanted us to be steeped in the Word of God, studying the Word of God, trying to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and his call on our lives to serve our brothers and sisters in need. And it still goes on to this day, thank God. Uh, on, I'm going to talk a little bit. There are two websites, the Lord's Ranch. Is it the thelordsranch.com? The Lord's Ranch Community. Community. Right. And then you can, you can also Google Father Rick Thomas, and you will get to one or both of those as well, two right. websites. Right. Uh, one of the websites, and I don't remember which one it is, it talked about some – has some testimonies that people have given of things that have happened after Father Rick's death. Right. So we believe that he will be a canonized saint one day, and so we approached the Jesuits um, about this. And so the first step they allowed us to do is to make a prayer card. On the back of that prayer card is a prayer asking for the intercession of Father Rick Thomas for a specific need. 
And then we say to people, please report any answers to prayer that you get after you've you've prayed for his intercession. As a result, we've had some wonderful stories of people that asked Father Rick's intercession and received some uh, results. And so we put those on the website in the testimony section uh, as answered prayers. And one of those, the first one that I saw was from Sandra, Sandra Martinez, who actually works with you folks, right? Yes, she works as a um, uh, catechist. Yeah, catechist on Wednesday night at the prayer meeting. And she was suffering from, it says she was suffering from dizziness and and received a healing. Right, yeah. She did. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that there aren't all of those, that all of these testimonies aren't here. Uh, Right, yeah. We we get stories all the time of of people asking Father for help. We need to do a better job of getting them on the website. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that's that's a tough job, isn't it? Because that, that takes a lot of time to get that all done. Right. Now, if people right. wanted to find out more about Father Rick Thomas, uh, there I know there are a couple of books, that uh, one of which I know is available on Amazon. Uh, yeah, so there's a biography uh, called A Poor Priest for the Poor, The Life of Father Rick Thomas by Richard Dunstan. And that's a great place to start. It's a biography of his life from beginning to end. And then there's also a book about the ministries, the community in general, called The Bible on the Border, again by Richard Dunstan, who's a Canadian journalist that uh, is a friend of ours and has visited many times. And he wrote these two books. Um, so that's a great place to start. And uh, oh, I think they're both available on Amazon. They, both I, they are, probably yeah. are. And I saw there was one other one that's out of print that I don't remember what it was called. And So that was called Miracles in El Paso. Uh, and that was by Father Rene Laurentine, who is uh, who was I, he's passed away now, but a very famous theologian, um, a French theologian, and he wrote that when Father Rick was still alive, and that was in the early 1980s, I believe. That was written. It's out of print, but you can still find copies floating around the internet. What What would happen, uh, or what? How could somebody who wants to get involved in the ministry, this ongoing? continual ministry, what would they need, what can they do to be, participate in the ministry, either financially or to come to our, our Ladies Youth Center or the Lord's Ranch, uh, and to minister on, uh, on, on either side of the border? Well, we have the website, thelordsranchcommunity.com, and on that website there's a place uh, linked to donate if somebody wants to donate. We also put out a monthly newsletter which is a story of just something that's going on in the community, either a story of how somebody's been helped or a testimony, um, just a very fun kind of newsletter. And uh, that either goes out through the mail or you can also get it in your email. Uh, So those are two ways to be a part. And then people can contact us also through the website if uh, if they want more information. And what if somebody wants to come to visit to see what's really going on and, and maybe see the spots where some of these very unusual manifestations of the Lord's power have taken place? Well, they they should write. They should email. Um, like Ellen mentioned on the website, there's a place where you can write. And, um, and then we will write them back and start a correspondence with them. Um, and then um, uh, we can go from there. But, so we do it. We don't do it through phone. We do it through writing. Okay. If they're interested in write, coming, just write, and um, we'll start a correspondence with them. If they come, 
what what could somebody expect to see or do if someone actually came and visited and well, wanted to be a part of this for a, a week or two? Well, um, they'd probably go to Mexico on Friday, um, which is the day that it goes to uh, one of our food banks, and that's the day that we take food to the shut-ins, the people that are too um, old or elderly or sick to um, uh, leave the house, and we take food to them and pray with them. Um, on Saturday, we have another food bank. It's called Las Alitas, and it's in another section of Mexico, and they could go there, and that's a, um, where they, we have um, a catechism for the children and um, a soccer field where they can play soccer with the kids after catechism. Um, they receive food. and So that's another ministry they can visit. And during the week, they probably work on the Lord's Ranch um, and uh, do some gardening or just whatever needs to be done. And uh, so, and we also do some pro-life work, and um, they could be involved in that. If if uh, it's is it a thing where a whole family could come and say spend their vacation this summer or sometime, or is 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 it not something to bring children to at this point? Um, it's up to the family could come. It's up to the parents if they want their children to go to Wadis. As you know, there's been violence in Wadis. We haven't personally had a problem with that, um, but it is, you know, there is violence over there. And so some uh, family recently came with their children, and they all went over to these two ministries we're talking about. Um, so it is possible for families to come, and, um, um, you know, the, if the children are older, we require that the children want to come and um, that they want to be there um, participating because it's hot and the home, the houses do not have air conditioning. It's, so it's not uh, an easy life. And uh, you want, it's for people that really want to live the missionary life. We have a few sec, about it, less than a minute left. If you had to summarize uh, something for our folks that are listening, what would you say? Well, Father Thomas was a big believer in um, moving with the Holy Spirit. See where the Spirit's moving and go with it. And he wasn't afraid to change things. If the Holy Spirit was changing, doing something new, he was, he was the first to say, well, let's move with it. And that's his response when the trees died and all was like, okay, what's the Holy Spirit going to show us? And um, so... I would say that, that that was a very big thing. And then uh, I, I was a witness of, of seeing Father move with the Holy Spirit and, doing, and listening, being attentive, and moving with Him, with the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to be where you are to be able right, to right. move with the Holy Spirit. I thank That's you right. so much for your time today. I've been speaking with Marianne Holleran and... Ellen, Ellen Hogarty, Hogarty. Uh, from Our Ladies Youth Center in El Paso, Texas. We've been talking about Father Rick Thomas. Again, the website is the Lord's, the Lord's Ranch, Ranch Community. Community.com. And you can get more information there. And I thank you so much for everything. I know that you're very busy. And in the meantime, I will say goodbye for now. And we will talk to you maybe again sometime soon. 
Thank you, Gene. And remember, when choosing between the values of heaven and the values of earth, always round up. Since you wake up this day.